Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll begin in verse number 12 and read down a few verses here together. We'll be studying down through verse number 22 this evening, and we'll get as far down there as we can. Let's see, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by the means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Verse 16, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Let's pray this evening. The title of the Bible study is this, the perfect work of a perfect blood. The perfect work of a perfect blood. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we dive into the beginning of this tonight, Lord, help us to have a great understanding of just what you went through for us. What a great sacrifice you made by sprinkling your own blood to, to prepare it, to prepare the sanctuary of heaven for us to be able to enter it. Lord, as the songwriters have written, there is power in the blood. The questions asked, are you washed in the blood? We're thankful that you were willing to spill your blood on the ground and then sprinkle it on the mercy seat on our behalf. And Lord, as we study about this important topic tonight, we look back to some Old Testament rituals, some foreshadowing in the Old Testament. Lord, help us to have a deeper and better and richer understanding so we can go forth and love you that much more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I do not necessarily care for the sight of blood. I can handle some blood, seeing some blood, but looking at massive amounts of someone bleeding is not on the top of my uh, desire list every day. I would not put that on my bucket list. Both of my children were born via cesarean, and uh, they stuck me behind the curtain with my wife, and so, um, I, uh, back when Matthew was born, cell phone cameras really weren't a thing. And so I borrowed a DSLR uh, camera and took that back into the operating room and, and uh, sat by um, my wife behind the curtain. And occasionally, I'd stand up and I'd snap a shot. And I'd sit back down. And when Matthew was born, I got all kinds of pictures of him there. And I went back later and I looked at the pictures of Angela being sliced open there she is having to hear me talk about her. And um, it was a bloody, bloody, bloody mess. Um, uh, I have seen people get big gashes and scrapes and blood everywhere. It's not my favorite. How many of you here are squirmish at even the thought of giving blood? You just don't like that. Having blood drawn. Okay, Blood is not a liquid you want to lose a lot of. Um, when I was a Bible college student, I was, I was broke poor. I was just totally out of cash all the time. And uh, some of that was poor management of my money. 
Um, but most of it was just that college was expensive and I owned a car and that was expensive and I needed that to get back and forth to work. And uh, prior to getting that job, uh, I got a job driving a forklift on a truck dock. But prior to that, uh, I needed some cash. And so uh, we found out about this blood plasma bank in Gary, Indiana. How many of you know about Gary, Indiana? It's been on the list of one of the most dangerous cities in America for a long time. It has a reputation, and rightfully so. I've done some soul winning in Gary. I've driven around Gary. Gary is a rough rough, rough city. But they had a blood plasma uh, bank there, and you'd go and you'd sit down and they'd stick a needle about that thick. Literally, I'm not exaggerating, it was way thicker than most. They'd jab that thing into your arm, and they had a machine that would siphon about a pint of blood out of your arm, and it would run it through this machine and, and separate the plasma from the blood, and then they'd send the blood back into your arm without the plasma. And uh, they would continue to pull it out and put it back in until they had filled a bag full of plasma. And then they'd give you cash, not a check, cash, on the way out the door. You say, well, Pastor, how shady was this place? Well, um, I wasn't allowed to go to the theaters when I was a college student. But they had pirated movies that were just in the theater up on the screen. And so that was basically like going to the theater. We could go watch a movie that wasn't even on DVD yet. It was just in theaters. And they'd pay you cash and the feds shut them down. So it was pretty shady. But I got my money. I got some money out of that. Oftentimes I'd use that money and I would put that toward renting a bus to pick up the bus kids. And uh, then we'd get up and preach to the bus kids and say, I used my blood to buy this bus for you. And so we'd have a good time with it. But uh, blood. Blood is um, not something we like to talk about, not something we like to see. Um, when we sing, and listen, a lot of Methodist churches, and uh, probably not all of them, but the large majority of Methodist churches and Protestant churches have taken songs about the blood out of their hymnal. They're, they're grossed out by it. They don't like it. Uh, I've heard people say it makes us sound cultish talking about blood. And I would say, why? Why? Um, Blood is necessary for life. Blood is life water. It is. If you lose your blood, you're dead. In fact, if you lose quite a bit of blood, or not even just a little bit of blood, uh, you very well could die. And so blood is very important. Blood has in it Uh, elements and there are parts of blood that we yet scientifically still don't totally understand. Now, Adam's blood, Adam and Eve's blood prior to their sin was perfect. Now, without getting into all the science of blood, because I didn't go to school for that, and I'd be way in over my head really fast, but what I do know about blood is that uh, there are cells in the blood, and what I understand is that every 120 days... Uh, they are created anew and replaced. And so bad blood uh, cells or dead blood cells cycle out and new ones are coming in to replace every 120 days. And so, uh, but prior to Adam and Eve sinning, there was no bad cells in their blood. Their blood was perfect. Um, DNA is found in our blood and the genetic end. So you have the health end of your blood. You have the genetic code within your blood, and that genetic code was perfect. Had I lived 
uh, all of those years ago in the Garden of Eden, I would have a full head of hair and be far more handsome than I am right now. Uh, but that's not how it goes. And so those of you wearing glasses, there would have been no need for glasses. How many of you have some sort of ache and pain in your body right now? That would have not been there because your blood would have been perfect and uh, all of those other things. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve sinned and their blood became tainted and diseased and fallen. And ultimately, we will all die one day because we have imperfect blood that runs through our body. And there are, I don't mean to oversimplify it. There's more to it than that. But that would be one of the main reasons. Now, insert Jesus who has a perfect blood. A blood that has life-altering power. Oftentimes when I'm witnessing to a child... Um, I will I will tell them this. I will say, if you fell into a mud hole and you got dirt all over your shirt, would you go home and take that dirty shirt and put it in your clean shirt drawer? And they say, well, no, I wouldn't do that. And I'd say, well, well, what would happen to you if you did that? Well, my mom would basically kill me. Well, we don't want mom to kill you. So it doesn't go. You don't put a dirty shirt in a clean shirt drawer and your dirty, sinful heart cannot go into a clean and perfect heaven. Boy, I don't know why adults have such a hard time with that. But children have no time, under, uh, no, don't have a hard time at all understanding that. Sinners who are covered in sin do not get access to heaven any more than a dirty shirt should have access to a clean shirt drawer. And then I say to them, well, where does that shirt go? And they say, it goes in the dirty clothes hamper. Okay, you put it in the dirty clothes hamper. All right. Then where does it go? Well, it goes in the washing machine. And you know what? I've never had a child get this wrong. Even at four years old, I've never had a child get this wrong. I ask them this question. If you put the shirt in the washing machine, but you don't put the soap in the washing machine, will this shirt get clean? And you know what they always say? No. Uh Uh-uh. They know that that detergent is necessary. The detergent takes the dirt out of the shirt. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission. Without, Hebrews 9, 22. Without the shedding of blood... There is no remission. Uh, I don't, again, I don't want to be guilty of oversimplifying the Bible. But let me just put it in super simple terms. The blood of Jesus is the detergent that takes away our sin and gives us a heart that is clean and white as snow. It is the life-altering detergent. And there are some fake detergents out there. There's a bottle that says good works on it. You know what? The detergent of good works, it's not going to take out a single sin stain. Neither is church attendance or religion or giving money or being, you know, whatever. Well, whatever you want to label the bottle. You you can counterfeit all you want, and it's just not going to get the job done. The only thing that takes sin off of your eternal record and takes you from being unrighteous and makes you righteous in the eyes of the Father is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has a power to it that is remarkable. In fact, um, I've read some books about people who've dealt with uh, folks that are possessed with a devil or with a demon. And you say, well, are those people out there? Of course they're out there. I believe that there are different levels of demonic possession. And I don't mean to get spooky and weird on you, although it is the day before Halloween, isn't it? Uh, I don't mean to get spooky or weird on you here, but I do believe that 
a whole bunch of people that live in the world today have some level of demonic possession. Now, it isn't like Mark 5, Maniac and Gadara level, where they're running around cutting themselves naked. Okay, But there are, on a much lesser level, there are people who are under some sort of possession of a demonic being. And uh, then there are people who have just full-blown turned their hearts over uh, to the devil. Maybe one of the most famous ones, uh, there's a woman, because I'm not into hip-hop music, I don't remember her name, but she's a big deal, and she sang at the Super Bowl a few years ago. Her whole outfit and everything about that she did worshipped the devil, and uh, she says that she has a demon that lives inside of her named Sasha Fierce. She's named her demon and talked about it on public television. Does anybody know what her name is? Beyonce. That's it. She's admitted to being demon-possessed. If you're a Christian, you have no right listening to Beyonce. Good for you. Pauline, I'm shocked. <laughs> Let's see. Conway Twitty. Yeah, we go way back, right? Yeah, cowboy hat. Okay. We just have to roll back the, the clock a few decades there. Um, uh, so, uh, but, but, but where am I going with this? Okay. And again, we're, uh, we may not even get very far into the outline tonight, but we're setting things up for uh, a future Bible study here. Here's what I'm trying to get at this. When you come into contact with someone who you feel is possessed with a demon, the devils run at the power of the blood of Jesus. I have read books and I have heard testimonies of people who would just sit and in the presence of someone who had a demon and they would just sing, Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood, and quote verses about the blood, sing about the blood. The demons quake and tremble and run from that because the blood of Jesus is it's life Changing, Just like you need blood to keep you alive, the blood of Jesus, the demons and the devils of hell, they run scared at that blood. The perfect work of a perfect blood. Let's jump into the, let's jump into the passage tonight and look at this. Number one, notice the comparison of the bloods. The comparison of the bloods. And I'm not talking about two different gangs here, okay? The comparison of the bloods. Now, um, you have the blood of Jesus being compared to the blood of Old Testament sacrifices. Look at verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having abstained, uh, obtained rather eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, uh, sanctifieth the, the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ? We'll get into verse 14 in a minute, okay? Um, uh, the comparison of the bloods. Notice under animal blood, notice that it was, it purified the flesh only. It purified the flesh only. Look back at verse number 13. At the end of the verse it says, to the purifying of the flesh. Do you remember in the Old Testament how that uh, when they were labeled as unclean because of leprosy or they were labeled as unclean for the touching of a dead animal, that they would go through the process of, of getting themselves clean again and the end of that process was the sacrificing of an animal. What did the sacrificing of animals 
bulls and goats and ox and sheep, generally firstborn without blemish. What did that accomplish? Well, really, it was a, it was, it was, it was a picture of the, the coming Christ, but all it really accomplished was it was a purifying of the flesh. It was a purifying of the flesh. Even the day of atonement where the uh, high priest would take the basin of the lamb's blood and walk into the holy place and sprinkle that on, that was getting them off the hook for the sin of their flesh for a year. Uh, it, it All it did was purify the flesh it did not reach down to the level uh, of of the uh, of the of the conscious or of the soul uh, notice below that it, it was a temporary measure a temporary measure look at verse number 25 of the of the chapter here now uh, see nor yet that uh, he should offer himself often as the high priest Entereth into the holy place every year, uh, yet uh, with blood of others. Now, I don't want to spoil that part of it because that's going to be another Bible study. But the point being made here is that the, these sacrifices had to happen over and over and over and over and over and over again. The blood of the you, so you, you take a lamb or a goat or whatever an ox and you walk up to the priest and they 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 put him up on the brazen altar in the courtyard there they tie him down and maybe they would slit the throat depending on the offering the blood would run over the edge of the of the brazen altar they catch some of it in a bowl and they had uh, the, these different things they do and it was meant to purify the flesh that would only last so long and then they would commit sin they do things that were wrong they need to bring another offering of thanksgiving to the Lord, and they'd have to bring another animal. It would have to happen all over again. These animals, because they were coming from a sin-cursed world, because they were coming from uh, 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 living under the condemnation of sin, their blood did not suffice. Their blood uh, was not uh, uh, was, was rather just a temporary measure. So the comparison of the blood, you have the animal's blood. Below that, you have Christ's blood. And we looked at how the animal's blood purified the flesh. Let's notice how Christ Christ's blood purges or purged the conscious. Look at verse number 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your, what's that next word? Conscious. Purge your conscious from dead works. So the blood of animals purified the flesh. The blood of Christ purges the conscious. You know what that means? That means that you, your soul is saved. Your, your, your eternal record is cleansed. Look back up at verse number nine. At the second half of the verse says, there says, uh, that, rather back up to the beginning of the verse. It says, uh, which was a figure, speaking of, uh, Old Testament sacrifice, was, which was a figure for the time then present, uh, in which, uh, were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not, uh, rather, yes, that could not make him, uh, that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious. You know what this is saying? Is that the sacrifices of animals, it wasn't perfect because yes, it cleaned the flesh, but it did not clean the conscience. It did not clean the conscience. One more verse. I'll hold my th- uh, co- uh, comments for one more verse here. Look at, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what did the sacrifice of the animals do? If anything, it was exterior, it was fleshly, it was outward. The the blood of Jesus Christ when sprinkled 
purifies the conscience. Now, uh, if you were saved, let's say after the age of 13, 14, 15, all right, then you know what it means to have seared your conscience and you're not even bothered by your sin anymore. Okay? I think about a couple I went and visited and uh, they wanted to join our church. This is another ministry I worked in and they were living together in sin, just living in a fornication relationship. And so I went over there, and, and I wasn't judgmental or hateful. I just sat down with him, and I looked him in the eye after, and I had a relationship with him. And I looked at him in the eye, and I said, you guys know what you're doing is sin, right? And the guy looked at me, puzzled. And he said, you know what? This is sin. But I never thought of it like that before. And I said, well, whoa, 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 let's back up. Come to find out the guy wasn't even saved. And so I walked him through the gospel, and he got saved. And then after he got saved, he said, we really shouldn't be living together, should we? You know what happened was, he was living in a sinful relationship, but he had seared his conscience to the place where it didn't even bother him anymore. And then when he got saved, that, that sprinkling of the blood on the conscience, he realized all of a sudden that was lifted off, that seared conscience was gone, and the Spirit of God had removed those dead works, and he could see that it was wrong. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Should just be a few pages to the right there if you're in Hebrews. 1 John chapter 1, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter. 1 John, if you get to Jude or Revelation, you've gone too far. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Look here. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. Not just surface level sin. Sin that goes all the way down into our heart. I think of someone who says, well, pastor, I'm not that bad of a person. Oh, really? Really? The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Our heart is wicked. All of us. All of us. And so we need the blood of Jesus to step in and purge our conscience. So the comparison of the bloods, animal blood, it purified the flesh. Uh, Christ's blood, Hebrews 9 says, it purged the conscience. Animal blood was a temporary measure. Christ's blood was a timeless treasure. Look at verse 14 and 15. A timeless treasure. Look at verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal, eternal, eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, uh, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgression that uh, were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal, eternal, eternal inheritance. It is a timeless treasure. What does the blood of Jesus do? It doesn't just wash away your sins a little bit. It washes them all away. It's eternal. How long is eternal? Forever and ever and ever. Um, You were born here. You're going to die here. Okay, let me turn around here. You were born here, right? Left to right, right to left. Okay, anyway, your birthday, death day. And then somewhere on that map of your life, you get saved. Maybe it's here if you're, if you're 
you know, got saved when you're young. Maybe it's over here if you get saved on your deathbed. For well, let's just say it's here. Okay, Jesus Christ uh, didn't just die for your sins up to the day you got saved. No, Jesus died two thousand years ago, and God collected your sins from your birth date to your death date, from the cradle to the grave. He collected them all together. He put them on Jesus. Jesus shed His blood on the cross. The blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The blood is applied to your heart and record the day you get saved and it isn't just up until that moment you get saved it's for all of your sins it's timeless it's timeless the blood of jesus is so perfect that it washes away our sins now i really really want to get into this this uh, verse 14 I about had a conniption fit in my office studying for this. This is awesome. Uh, verse 14 is, is one of the most power-packed verses in Hebrews. Let's look at number two, the correlation of the Trinity. I love it when all three parts of the Godhead show up in the same verse. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, it is awesome. And here we're talking about the salvation of my soul and the salvation of your soul. And we see all three parts of the Godhead involved in the process. Letter A, notice the sacrifice of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ. Look with me at verse 14. See if you can identify all three here. How much more shall the blood of Christ, that's the Son, who through the eternal Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, offer himself without spot to God, that's God the Father, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Okay, so the sacrifice of Christ. Look back at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered, speaking of Christ, offered himself without spot, without sin, without uh, blemish to God. Uh, and I have this word written down in my notes. His sacrifice was voluntary was voluntary. God, let me be really clear here, God the Father did not look at God the Son and say, you have to go. You have to go. Jesus volunteered to go. He offered himself. You know what? When they were throwing those nails into his hands and his feet and they beat him, brutally killed him, at any point he could have said, Father, make it stop. And it would have stopped. He laid his life down on his own. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18. Again, we were just in 1 John. 1 Peter is just a few books prior to that. So Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 18. I love these verses. For as much ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle or conversations, received by traditions from your fathers. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot, without blemish and without spot. Jesus willingly laid down his life. It was the precious blood of Jesus. I find it interesting that God had Peter use the word precious. Not John. He had Peter. Of the two individuals, who is more rugged and who is more soft? 
Peter was more rugged. John was more soft. But God has Peter use the more feminine word, or the softer word rather, over and over and over again in First and Second Peter. Precious, precious, precious. He calls many things precious, including the blood of Jesus. He calls it the precious blood of Jesus. The letter A, we see the sacrifice of Christ. That's involved in this verse. Letter B, notice the support by the Spirit. The support by the Spirit. Look back at verse 14 of Hebrews 9. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Now, the eternal spirit is mentioned here. Interestingly enough, he's just sort of mentioned as working in the background. Do you know that's what the Holy Spirit does to the whole Bible? He works in the background. He just works in the background. He's silently at work in the background. Uh, at White Oak Baptist Church, you walk in on a Sunday uh, morning, and um, the first person behind the, the pulpit is me. And so I have become the face of the church because I do the most public speaking. But can I tell you something that before Sunday morning can happen, there are a whole bunch of people working in the background to make Sunday happen. A whole bunch of people. And uh, they are working in the background. Now, God the Father and God the Son are in the forefront. The Holy Spirit's working in the background. But can I tell you this about our church? The people working in the background are probably collectively more important than me. Preachers can be replaced. If you strip away the support staff of a preacher, he's in trouble, especially if a church this size. You have to have a good support staff. And um, the Holy Spirit's working in the background. Do not minimize... The work of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. He is just as important in the Godhead as God the Father and God the Son. He is equally important. I'm gonna, I, I, these aren't in your notes, but I have a list here we're gonna run through real quick of the, this Holy Spirit's involvement in, uh, in the life of Jesus and then in the life of the believer. Alright? Look, we're gonna, we're gonna, you can find a place to jot these down, okay? Uh, the support by the Spirit. How was He involved in the shedding of Christ's blood and in the redemption of the, of the believer? Here we go. First of all, notice the conception of Mary. The conception of Mary. Turn over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. And if you aren't quick with your Bible, I would recommend you just listen. You not try to turn to every passage, but just listen. Because I'm going to move quick here. And I don't want you to get frustrated that you can't keep up. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 35. Here we have Mary, the Virgin Mary, and the angel approaches her. The Bible says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Uh, if Mary was a virgin and she had a baby, how did that happen? The Holy Spirit put baby Jesus in her womb. How did Jesus get into Mary's womb? The Holy Spirit put her there. Uh, so not only was he responsible for Jesus being born on earth, notice he was there, uh, or rather the endorsement of, of his ministry, the endorsement of his ministry. Turn back to Matthew, if you'd like, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 16. Here we have Jesus getting baptized, the official beginning of his public ministry. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And here's another place where we have all three of the Godhead. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the Spirit of God uh, was involved in endorsing the ministry of Jesus. Not only was he involved 
involved in that. It was the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse number 11. Romans 8, 11. And uh, hold your place in Romans 8, 11, because we're going to come back to it and look at another aspect of this verse in a moment. Romans eight eleven. But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Who raised up Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit raised Jesus up from the dead. So he was there to put him in Mary's womb. And then he was there to endorse his ministry. And then he was there to bring him back from the dead. Wow, I'd say the Holy Spirit is doing a pretty awesome job in the background. Okay, not only is uh, he involved in our salvation uh, by, by, through the ministry of Jesus, he's also directly involved in our salvation uh, with, our, uh, with us being saved. Uh, the, and so I have this one down, the salvation of the believer. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. Hold your place in Romans 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. I'm going to begin reading. It says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Spirit of God takes the blood of Jesus and comes down to our record and washes our sin. So uh, the Spirit... Put Jesus in Mary's womb, endorses his ministry, raised him from the dead, takes the blood of Jesus and comes to us the day we get saved and washes our sin away. Wow, I'd say he's an important person. Uh, not only is he involved with the, uh, the salvation of the believer, but also the sealing of the believer. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30. Now again, if, if this is moving a little too fast for you, just try to get the broader point that the Spirit of God is involved. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You cannot lose your salvation because the Holy Spirit of God has put a seal over your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I heard one preacher put it this way, and, and this is theoretical. We may get to heaven and find out this isn't right. Uh, but every, the preacher said, Everybody's name starts out in the Book of Life. In pencil. And if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, an eraser gets taken to your name. And if you do put your faith and trust in Christ, a seal gets put over your name. That's a pretty good, a pretty good theology there. It uh, is either going to be removed or sealed. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you, the Holy Spirit puts a seal over your name. You cannot lose your salvation. And then one last one. I said don't lose your place in Romans 8, then I went and lost it here. Uh, the sanctification of the believer. The sanctification of the believer. Not only does he save us, not only does he seal us, but he sanctifies us. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 11. Let's see here. It says this, but, the spirit of, uh, but, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that he raised up Christ from the dead, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So he brings to life our mortal bodies. We crucify the flesh, and then he uses our flesh to do a great work, the sanctification process. So we, we looked at, and I want to finish up uh, point number two here. We looked at the sacrifice of Christ. We looked at the support by the spirit. And Let's look at the third part of the Trinity mentioned in this verse, and that is the satisfaction of the Father. The, the satisfaction of the Father. Go back to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14. I just have to get over there. Okay. Hebrews nine fourteen. How much more shall the blood of Christ, again God the Son, who through the eternal Spirit, there's the Spirit, offered himself without spot to who? To God. Off without spot to God. Jesus offered himself up to his Father. 
He was putting himself down for his father. Yes, on our behalf. But he was satisfying the wrath of God. God's wrath toward our sin. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. Look here. Purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. So God the Father, uh, let me illustrate it this way, okay? God, uh, God the Father is here with, uh, uh, can you come up here and help me, Stephen? Stand here for me. So just stand on about the same distance from the pulpit on the other side there, okay? And so um, God the Father is here with Adam in the garden and their fellowship is sweet. And then Adam sins. Turn around and face the other way. And God and Adam turn their backs on each other. Now, God is angry at Adam, and Adam, in turn, becomes angry. Adam's race becomes angry with God. And then, let's see. Mike, can you come up and help me? You move well for a guy your age, so. All right. Well, let's see. We'll get to let you act like Christ today. About time you were Christ-like. Step in the middle right here, okay? He comes in and he offers himself up on the cross, and God immediately turns and stand, stand facing that way. God immediately turns and faces mankind and waits as he looks through Jesus for mankind to turn back to him. Now, the problem with a lot of mankind is they're so stinking sinful and stubborn, they won't turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus to make peace with God. But to all of those that do, turn around, Stephen. And now he's looking, God's looking at, 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 at uh, mankind through Jesus, and mankind is looking at God through the person of Jesus. He is the mediator. This is God's role in it. God was wrathful at man, and man was wrathful at God for no good reason, and Jesus steps in and he brings the two together. We see the satisfaction of the Father is not because of anything this guy's done. Definitely not, not just even. But because of what Jesus, what Jesus did for us. And so we see the satisfaction of the Father. Take a seat. Ephesians 4.32, you all know it. And be ye kind, say it with me, one to another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see that? God forgives us for Christ's sake. He doesn't forgive us for our sake, because there's nothing good in us. He forgives us for Christ's sake. So we have all three parts of the Godhead mentioned in one verse, and it talks about how we are sealed. Now, I don't have letter D in your notes, but I'm going to give you a letter D. All right? Uh, God, I came up with this one after uh, the bulletins were printed. Letter D. Notice the service of the Christian. The service of the Christian. Okay. Look at uh, back at verse 14. I'm almost done here. Uh, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works so that you could sit and sour till Jesus comes? No. To serve... The living God. To serve the living God. Why is it that He saved us? So that we could just live a comfortable life? No, He saved us to bear our cross. I heard a preacher say recently, he said, I am tired of converts. I don't want converts. I want disciples. I want disciples. I want people who are not just willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus to save them. Uh, that's important. But that's just step one. I want folks who are going to get in and follow Christ and be his disciple and learn to pick up their cross and follow him. To serve the living God. You were saved by Jesus, not so you could sit and sour, but so that you could serve. And um, I, I wrote down a couple of verses here 
but I'll just give you one of them. Psalm 100 says this. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, Why is it that we should serve the Lord with gladness? Because he saved us. Is there, do you need any other reason? Serve the Lord with gladness. I was a hell-bound sinner. I was, uh, look, if God had not saved me at the age of four, I would be one bad person. I know me. I would be one bad person. His grace has radically changed and altered the course of my life. How many of you here can say the grace of God has radically altered the course of your life? Is that not enough reason to say, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I'm all in. You can die for me, I can live for you. Amen? Let's stand together and be dismissed. The blood of Christ, the perfect work from a perfect blood.